Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Thanks for joining us. The U.S. Census. It's still underway, even though we might not have heard as much about it with everything else going on. We're going to find out all about it when Steve Shop, the regional director of the U.S. Census, joins Intercom's Frank Andrews to explain its importance and that you can find the information at 2020census.gov. Now we're hearing about a dust storm coming from the Sahara Desert. How is the COVID-19 situation affecting the environment? We'll find out. Let's start off this morning by introducing you to Intercom's Doc and Jesse. There's so much about policing in the news, they caught up with Scranton Police Chief Carl Graziano. He talks about what community policing means to him. Then they also caught up with Will Beekman of Mohegan Sun Arena, and he's going to tell us all about entertainment coming back to the venue outside, not inside. But first, here's Scranton Police Chief Carl Graziano. Scranton Police Chief Carl Graziano, our special guest. And Chief, are things a little different in Scranton than other parts of the country? We're not immune from anything that happens nationally, unlike, you know, when I started 28 years ago. With social media today and the access to 24-hour news stations, what happens in another part of the country directly affects what happens here in Scranton, so we're no different. Luckily, though, we haven't seen a whole lot of, you know, violence and rioting and things like that in Scranton, though, correct? Correct. We have a lot of programs in place that we've been working on, focusing on community policing and a lot of people say community policing but community policing is a philosophy and not a program we've engaging our officers in the community is more now than ever how do you get people to not be afraid of police officers i think that has to come from personal interaction rather than what someone else tells them or what they see on tv so i always tell people and my kids included is make your own judgments based on your own interactions with your local police department and not what you see on tv or what someone else tells you how to feel chief what about um people that are young now and thinking about becoming a police officer and you know i'm reading stories and it said oh it's going to be tougher to get people to come and then I, I saw a story in the news last night that they say no there's still a lot of younger people that are coming up and want to be police officers what do you say to somebody younger who's thinking about it the old cliche is if you think change needs to be made come and join us a friend of mine who's a uh, a philly police officer told me something the other day when i was talking to him and he goes nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop because correct. one guy ruins it unfortunately that's what makes the news outside of all the great things that are going on correct it only takes one incident and again a lot of that is very attributed to social media and, and access to news today that was unprecedented back, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So what happens in any part of the country greatly affects policing all over the world. Of all your days in your career, is there one day that stood out that you said, this is probably my greatest day being a police officer? I think that's the day I got sworn in. You know, if you find a career that you love, you truly never work a day in your life. And right. that's, that's how I feel. I love coming to the office every day. I love the challenges of policing. I love interacting with the public and trying to improve things. And it's hard to believe I get paid for what I'm doing, 
because I love doing what I'm doing. Well, Police Chief Carl Graziano, Chief of Scranton, thank you so much for giving us time today. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. Nice to meet Scranton Police Chief Carl Graziano. Keeping the community safe is a priority. And just a reminder, Scranton Police have installed cameras that operate 24-7 now at the Gorge at Nayog Park. Over the years, and as recent as Memorial Day weekend this year, numerous deaths have occurred there while people use the site as a swimming spot. Being in the area off Mark trails is trespassing and you are subject to fines. Now Intercom's Doc and Jesse are talking Jim Gaffigan with Will Beekman of Mohegan Sun Arena. They're bringing entertainment back to the venue, although outside, not inside. This is an idea, a great one too, because so many things have been canceled all around Northeast PL, around the country for the last few months with what's going on with COVID-19. But something big coming up, we have Will Beekman here, who is the general manager. And Will, you have a major show, actually good enough for the whole family, planned for Mohegan Sun Arena. You know, I think we just got tired, quite honestly, of watching one event after another fall off of our calendar. We had such a great year lined up, with so yeah. many great shows, and just one by one, we had to watch them go away, which was really tough. But we said, listen, we have a great parking lot. Let's try to be creative, think outside of the box, and come up with something new here. And we have Jim Gaffigan coming to town on July 18th, right here in our parking lot. So, well, how is that going to work? Is there going to be a stage set up outside in the parking lot? Yeah, to be clear, Jesse, I mean, we have Jim Gaffigan coming here to Wilkes-Barre Township physically, in person. You know, not on a screen, in our parking lot, outside, in the hopefully nice weather. And is it going to be done like, you know, they're talking with uh, drive-in theaters, like, will you have it on an FM frequency? Like, how will people hear it in the cars? Yeah, so it'll be through an FM frequency into the vehicles. We're also exploring the possibility of having an outdoor PA. Right now, it is very much a drive-in concert event. We're hopeful that if things keep going in the right direction, you know, another month from now, maybe we can get to a point where people can get out of their vehicles. Each car will have an open space to its right, so you can get out, maybe put a lawn chair out, maybe sit on the hood. You know, we're not there yet, but we're certainly hopeful that that'll be the case. For now, we're certainly saying everyone stay in their vehicles just to be safe, but we'll see what happens. So we're talking it's Saturday, July 18th. It's going to be at 8 o'clock. How do people get tickets? Tickets are on sale now. You can get them on Ticketmaster. We're doing mobile tickets only just to be safe so we don't have tickets changing hands. We don't have money changing hands, but you can buy them online at Ticketmaster. It's one price for a vehicle. You can bring your own food and beverage if you want. There's no parking fee. It's just one price to get in and enjoy the show. Now, Will, you still have stuff later in the year that's still on the schedule as of right now? We do. Um, We still have an Alabama show scheduled in October. You know, we're hopeful that that'll stay, but your guest is as good as mine right now. Do you feel like we'll be allowed to have 8,000 people in a room by October? You know, I'm, I'm not so sure. So we're just taking it one day at a time. The good thing is, you know, the shows we had, they were all selling well. So I think once we get back to normal, I do think they'll all come back to us. It's just unfortunate because, like I said, we had a great season lined up. All right. We're super bummed about Tim McGraw. That's another one, you know. And to his credit, he said, listen, we don't know when this is going to be over. Let's cancel it. Let's give everyone their money back. We don't need people's money tied up in tickets right now. And when we do kind of circle the wagons and, and get back out there with another tour, we have a good shot of getting them back. How much of a nightmare is that? All of a sudden, something gets canceled. Now you got to reimburse everybody. It's certainly not easy. You know, technology certainly helps. But we're used to a show every once in a while canceling or postponing, right? right. Someone gets sick or, you know, whatever the case may be, the quote-unquote scheduling conflict, and a show kind of goes away, and you refund the money and you move on. But this is every single event in every single venue across the country, and it's a lot. It's put a strain on the ticket outlets, like Ticketmaster, you know. Right. When someone buys a ticket on Ticketmaster, we get that ticket money that next week. So then we have to reimburse Ticketmaster so that they can reimburse the customer. So it's a process, and obviously it's something that none of us 
us have ever gone through before, but we're taking it one day at a time. Well, we're excited about this one. Jim Gaffigan, Saturday, July 18th, 8 o'clock at Mohegan Sun Arena in the parking lot. And tickets, by the way, are available through Ticketmaster. Will, thanks for giving us some time this morning. Doc and Jeffy, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. And Mohegan Sun Arena is not stopping there. They also have another outdoor event planned for July 17th. Almost Queen will be in a drive-in concert at the venue in Wilkes-Barre Township. Now that's the night before the Jim Gaffigan Show. And for ticket information, you can visit their Facebook page or their website. Now don't go away. You may have been seeing public service announcements from local TV stations about rescanning your TV. What's it all about? We'll find out when Special Edition returns. Welcome back to Special Edition on this final weekend in the month of June. And you may have been seeing the public service announcements from local TV stations about rescanning your TV. It's for those who use an antenna on their set because those stations are moving to a new frequency this week. Gene Cadeau is the chair of the FCC Incentive Auction Task Force. She explains why it's happening and where you can find more information out about it. One of the things that we do at the FCC is make sure that we use the nation's airwaves as efficiently as we can. And we've identified the TV spectrum that TV uh, stations use to broadcast their signals as an area we could use more efficiently and therefore free up some spectrum for wireless carriers. American consumers have ever-increasing demand for faster and faster speeds and more and more capacity for their wireless devices. So we're rearranging some TV stations across the country to use uh, less less uh, airwaves and more, more efficiently and free up space for wireless carriers. So what that means is that if a viewer watches TV using an antenna, meaning a rooftop or an indoor uh, antenna, as opposed to cable or satellite subscription to get their local TV, they'll need to rescan the, their TVs each time this happens so that their TV knows where to find the channels at their new place in the airwaves. When you talk about something like this happening, are there any possibilities that people are going to lose their channels? Uh, there should not be, no. What we uh, made sure we did when we reassigned uh, frequencies to stations, we made sure that the new frequencies would allow them to broadcast to the same coverage area and the same population that they had before. Um, now, while the change is happening, sometimes there's a brief period of time when a uh, station goes sure on to an interim antenna while they put their new antenna up on their tower, uh, that there may be some decrease in the coverage, but uh, ultimately it will be, it should be the same. So it should be a seamless proposition um, from beginning to end. Sometimes right, and viewers uh, just need to know that they need to rescan their TVs when this happens up on to, uh, tower, to find the, uh, the channel. That there may be some decrease now, in the coverage. Now, when you say rescan, uh, what exactly does that mean? 
Well, when a, a so viewer sets a up a TV to use an antenna for the first time, from the time they again. need to right. scan the TV uh, to find all of the available local channels. Uh, what that means is they uh, basically just go into the menu function on the remote control and uh, and scan the TV, and they had to do that when they set it up. And a rescan is exactly what it sounds like, which is to, to redo that process so the TV can go out and find all of the a local channel at its new channels. home. The, the channel uh, numbers that, that viewers they, see uh, are not changing. Into the menu so the if a viewer and, uh, is used to watching, say, channel 22, it will still be channel 22, but the TV needs to be trained to find channel 22 at its new home here. A local channel ah, at its new okay. home. So the, it's, the channel it's, numbers it's more or less for the TV benefit rather than the, so than the viewer's viewer benefit of, of the change to watch in the, say channel of the channel. Right. We, uh, we want to make this as it will seamless still be channel 22 uh, for, for viewers the TV as possible. Needs to be trained so, uh, to find uh, channel 22 at its really new home. We really do want to continue to use the same ah, channel numbers okay. so viewers so who are used it's, to tuning to channel 22 or 64 or whatever they're used to, they'll continue to do. It's just that the TV needs we want to make retrained. this as seamless uh, for viewers as possible. And then how would possible? someone know so, uh, that this is either happening really do want or has already happened, the same that they would have to go and do this? Is there to tuning to channel uh, a way? 22 or yes, so there's a couple different ways. Or whatever the TV stations whatever used were affected, to, they'll continue to do. Uh, have to give the notice to their viewers to at least 30 days in advance, so and there'll then be public service announcements and on-screen text messages or has already happened that they would have to go and do this. To make sure their viewers are aware of the change and what the date will be on which they'll make yes. it. So there's a couple um, different ways. We also have the information TV stations who are affected website, uh, have to which give is notice uh, to their viewers at least 30 days in advance. So they'll be gov uh, public service announcements and, and on-screen map of messages put, and other things uh, his or her they use zip code in to make sure their viewers are aware of the change are locally and available and whether in which uh, any of them it. are making the change. We also have information on our FCC And then just generally a good rule of thumb is if a viewer has an and notices that Channel is a, that a map a viewer can put seem to his or her zip code in uh, and see which stations are locally available is, uh, and whether what uh, any of them are making bring the change the back. And, the, and the time frame. But and then just generally a good rule of thumb is if a viewer uh, well, has an over-the-air antenna TV, notice that the channel that they used to do it once in a while seems to have gone missing. If a viewer hasn't done it in a couple years and hopefully that up the TV the first time, they may find that there are actually more channels available locally you would only have to rescan once, correct? What the TV well, will do when it goes out in the air and scans, it goes through the whole um, ah. range probably a good of idea possible to channels. Do it once in a while. And um, local stations are bringing on it in a couple years, channels, or maybe since they set up the TV the first time, and those are those, they may uh, find that there are actually more channels available locally for free than they knew they had. Because what the TV will do when it goes out in the air and scans, it goes through the whole range of possible channels. Out. And so local stations that, are maybe a happy circumstance sub channels or so multicast they, uh, channels all the time, and those are those. Uh, if you watch over the air TV, you're used to seeing and maybe I channel twenty two dot that. one is it and dot two that when and dot they, three. Well, those dot two and three and they find out new that streams of programming. Gee, I was wondering that, uh, what happened to that one. So is it may be a happy circumstance to rescan just on a normal basis instead of just accepting the fact that they're. TV and I was just going to say that, that is it possible that, it that when they right, the when they do only, only rescan, they what it found find the last out that it rescanned. I was wondering so what happened if, uh, to that one. So is this something that maybe couple of months people should do so they just may find on a normal basis instead of uh, the TV just accepting know about. the fact that their ah, TV is telling well, them everything that they think 
that it should be. <laughs> right. The TV's only only telling them what it found the last time <laughs> it rescanned. Free, right? So if viewers rescans every couple of months so, yes, or every year or so, they may find that new stations have come on that the TV doesn't know about. Well, they're ah, happening at different well, times. We're doing surprise. it in a 10-phase process. <laughs> a couple of stations in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, already. Well, the good news is these are all May, for free, right? They, uh, you don't have uh, to have subscribe to them. Already, these are all available over the air. So, yes, it's a good thing to do. When they uh, scan this that's time. right. Now, when are these, uh, and then when are these one changes coming into effect? Well, they're happening at different times. We're doing it in a 10-phase process. A couple of stations in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, have already gone. So, viewers may have rescanned already, and if not, they may find that those channels come back when they uh, scan this time. Uh, and then there's, I think, one station that's going to be changing in uh, this current phase, which is this week. Uh, and then two more that will be changing in the next couple of months. So viewers should be on the lookout for those notices. And if they notice a channel they're used to seeing those missing, try rescanning. Dean, if you can give us once again the information on where people can get more information, that would be great. Right. Uh, our website is www.fcc.gov slash TV rescan. And we've also set up a, a call center uh, with a help desk for folks who may need a little extra help in rescanning and how to do it. They may have forgotten how they did it when they set up their TV. Uh, and the number there is 1-888-CALL-FCC which is 1-888-225-5322, option number 6. And it's available seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Time in English and Spanish. Uh, so if a viewer notices a channel's missing in the evening or on the weekend, uh, they can call that number if they need some help. So they should call you, not the place where they bought the TV. Correct. They, they should call the, the call center and, and get help. Now, if they try rescanning and there's a problem, they might want to call their station and see if the station's having any issues. But uh, other than that, the call center should be able to help them with the rescan process. And uh, hopefully, 99% of the time, it brings the channel back. Excellent. Thank you so much. We appreciate the information. Well, and I appreciate your helping to get the word out to your listeners because we want to make sure that they continue to get all their channels and maybe more. Oh, believe me, especially with everything that's been going on. Ooh, exactly. you don't want to mess with those soap operas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not to mention local news and information, but soap operas are important. And Jean is right. We always want to know where we can get the latest and best information. That's why Intercom's Frank Andrews reached out to Stephen Shope. He's the regional director of the U.S. Census. He's here to explain the importance of the census. Maybe we haven't been hearing about it as much with everything else that's been going on. But he also details the first-time filing options you have this time around. And he wants you to know the information is at 2020census.gov. A couple of weeks ago, I, I received a call from someone who said, would it be possible for you to interview a representative from the United States Census? Because we really need to make sure people understand that. And I said, absolutely. And on the line with us right now is Stephen Shope. He is a supervisory partnership specialist. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. How about starting out by, I mean, it, it all, it's something that we have said a million times, but just so people can pay attention to hear it, why is the census important? Why should we care? Well, uh, it's important for a lot of reasons. Uh, it was written into the Constitution as the way in which we uh, ensure that we have 
equal representation across the state. So uh, the, the data collected in 2020 is going to determine congressional representation for states for the next 10 years. Uh, but something that hits a little closer to home for a lot of folks is uh, census data also determines how nearly $700 billion in federal funding gets distributed to states and communities for everything from uh, school lunches, the libraries, the roads, infrastructures, hospitals, schools, uh, very few things that aren't in one way or another touched by census data when it comes to uh, getting funds distributed. So it touches a lot of lives. Now, is the census this year all online? No, but it is the first time uh, that folks can choose to go online to respond, but they still have the option of uh, using a paper form, and they can also call a, a toll-free number to respond over the phone. Okay, I, and you know, one of, one of my concerns when it comes to the census, because you just talked about how important it is, and I, and I understand that, is that it kind of got put on the back shelf because of COVID and because of everything else that's happening, but it is something people need to pay attention to. I got my card in the mail weeks and weeks and weeks ago and immediately you know filled out my card for the census what what if people got it didn't pay attention to it what do they do now well anybody who has uh, access to the internet can at any time go online to 2020census.gov and respond online for their household um but uh 95% of households in America received the form or received a, some kind of invite through the mail like you did, uh, usually multiple invites, and then ultimately they receive a paper form in the mail that they can fill out and return. Uh, but there's 5% of the households that don't have city-style addresses or receive mail at a P.O. box or any number of things that would prevent us from sending those things in the mail. And for those folks, uh, we go out and we hand deliver a, a packet to the to those uh, households, um, and so as you said, with COVID nineteen, you know a lot of things were put on hold, and we we had to place a pause on our operations. And that operation where we uh, hand delivered packets was one of those operations that we put a pause on. We did recently resume that in May. We've completed that operation. So at this point, um, I think it's safe to say that any household that's going to receive the forms or the invite in the mail or hand delivered that that's already happened so if somebody is concerned that they didn't receive something uh and there's always a good chance that a household received it and threw it away there's still two safety nets one is they can they can go online and respond they can call the telephone number and respond uh, or we have our final and largest operation called non-response follow-up. And any household that hasn't responded will start sending the enumerators out, knock on their door, and conduct the survey right there on their doorstep. Is there is there a, a deadline? Does this thing stop at some point? Uh, it will stop. Um, uh, we've got uh, still several weeks yet that people have the ability to respond. Uh, we encourage people the sooner the, the better because uh, really... You know, just 10 minutes of their time is going to impact their community for 10 years. So uh, the sooner the better. Um, and if you, if, you, if you haven't responded, be receptive of the numerators when they come out to the, to the door. Do you, do you have any idea what the response rate has been like for, uh, for Pennsylvania, for northeastern Pennsylvania? Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing, you know, we track and certainly anybody in the public can go online to our website, 2020census.gov, and there's an online uh, response rate tracker. It's usually within a day or two uh, that, that um, you can find results. Um, but it was, I think, one of the 
one of the benefits of COVID-19 was that people were at home and they had time and they were able to go online. And so we were seeing really good response rates uh, in most places in Pennsylvania. And just to give you some numbers, uh, right now the national self-response rate is 61.4%. Pennsylvania is doing 64.7%, which is even better. And then when you look at counties like Luzerne, Luzerne's at 60.9, Lackawanna's at 61.3. So it, it's looking pretty good. I mean, they're they're keeping up with uh, right there with the, the state and uh, real close to national and some are even above national. So it's, it's looking pretty good. There's still some work to be done. We know there's still households that haven't responded, so we encourage them to do so. Can you, I mean, can you tell people, I mean, I know this because I, I, I already did mine, but the kind of questions that they're going to be answered is it's not in any way an invasion of privacy. It's just basic information. But for people who are concerned, like, what are they going to see when they do their census? Sure. The primary information, other than establishing uh, your address, and if you have one of those forms you receive in the mail, uh, that has a unique ID on it that you can punch in that will that'll cover that base for you. But really, it's just asking for names, birth dates, um, sex, male or female, and, and a little bit about your, your ethnic and racial uh, composition of your household. Um, and then that's, that's the most of what you know, they're asking for. So it is, like as you said, it's non-evasive, um, and it only takes a few minutes for somebody for their entire household to fill that form out. Is there any other information that we need to get out to people, something that I didn't ask you that you would like to share? Uh, just that we are with that. The non-response follow-up operation is the largest operation that we conduct. And uh, we're still accepting applications. If anybody's interested in working for the United States Census, they can apply online at 2020census.gov forward slash jobs. You fill out a single application and you'll be in a pool and, you know, folks will give you a call and ask you if you're interested in a particular job. If you're not, you can decline it or you can accept it and, and be part of the team. But uh, either come to work for us. But in any case, uh, if you're unsure if your household has filled out a form, just go online and fill it out again. We have we have measures to catch it if there would happen to be a duplicate. But um, it's so important and it's tied to so many important things. Now, you also you also mentioned a toll free number. What is it and why? How would we use it? And, you know, I've had some technical issues getting into my laptop and don't have that number right in front of me at the moment, but it is at 2020census.gov. Maybe you could share that with your listeners or we could email that to you. No, we'll, we'll, we'll punch it up here and we'll get it to them. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Let's hope that we get a full census count in Pennsylvania. Once again, a reminder, you can find out all the information you need on the census at 2020census.gov. Now, don't go away. We're going to talk about the environment and just how is COVID-19 affecting it, as well as, have you been hearing about this dust storm coming from the Sahara Desert? Don't go away. More special edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. Having to say goodbye to a pet is a very difficult thing. Tracy's Hope Hospice Care Program and Rescue is one agency that provides help for those who have to go through such an ordeal. They provide hospice care for pets that are disabled, elderly, or terminally ill. Denise Kumor is the president and CEO of Tracy's Hope Hospice based in Duryea, and she's going to tell us about some services that they offer 
that maybe a lot of people don't even know about. Tracy's Hope is a nonprofit organization that caters to Luzerne and Lackawanna counties, rescuing animals, working with the DA's office and uh, the police departments to prosecute animal abusers. We do hospice care. We bring euthanization to the homes of terminally ill pets. And let's talk about that because a lot of people don't realize that. You actually can be there and do that for your pet with help. How do they how would someone go about doing that? Well, what they would do they would call us and we try to ask them to call early, not the day before they think the pet has to be euthanized. And we work with the families, we help them through things. We provide um, in-home euthanization services with a veterinarian. So let's say that someone has a pet who they know is getting a little bit older and is starting to have some problems. Would that be the time that they would contact you and say, I think this is going to happen and this is how I would like it to happen? Absolutely. That's the best time to call to give us time to uh, actually work through some of these things with the pet owners and the pet. I guess because there's so much talk about hospice care for people, this is something that we normally wouldn't think about for our pets. So what happens when someone contacts you? What's the first thing that you would do? Well, I would talk to them. I would I would go down to see the pet Um and go over anything, uh, give them my opinion, see how the pet is medically, uh, and then uh, we would work through helping them to make a decision. You're mostly thinking about pain. I never want to see my pets in pain. I know that's what I've always said when it's come to that time. Is that something that you can help with as well? Absolutely. We would encourage that um, the veterinarian, their veterinarian, would make sure that there is um, adequate pain medication to let the veterinarian know that we're involved. Once that happens, then the family can contact you and do you spend time with them as well? Oh, yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. And -hmm. when you're going through something like this, again... I know how tough it is. Been there, done that. Oh, I don't know. It is is hard. It never gets any easier. No, absolutely. Never does. So what do you tell people? Well, when they're approaching the time when they're making a decision about euthanization, I always tell them that it's the final act of love, that that pet was loyal to them all their lives, and now they need to serve them with unconditional love and make that decision. How long can you be with a family once a, once they contact you and say, I would like to find out about hospice care for my pet? Well, basically, it's on an individual case uh, process. Um, we spend time, we talk on the phone, you know, we check in with them, they call us, uh, I provide them with my cell number, and they call us when they need to talk or with any changes in the pet's health. And I I think that's something that a lot of people, um, even when you talk about hospice for humans, Mm -hmm. that it's not the day of, as you mentioned in the very beginning, that's the same thinking process. Right, 
Right, exactly. And when it's the day of, we do spend time afterwards, after the fact. But it's so important to get through this with somebody that uh, does it all the time. That's very difficult, I'm sure. It is. I think also people understand that when they're dealing with someone who has contacted other people and done that, sometimes they have, they don't feel as confined in their feelings. Do you find that? Yes, definitely. And it's so important to, for us not to make that decision. We, we try to make sure that it's the pet owner that, that comes to that conclusion because a lot of times they will look to us like, well, what should I do? And it's, uh, we offer them different uh, perspectives so that they can make the decision on their own. Very tough. Commend yes. you for all of the things like that that you do. Well, thank you. Tracy's Hope Hospice was one of those that had to cancel their fundraiser because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now keeping their fingers crossed, they have rescheduled it for August 16th. Now if you'd like to find out more, and if there are tickets still available, you can check out their Facebook page, Tracy's Hope Hospice Care and Rescue for Domestic Animals Incorporated. Also getting back into the swing of things, Houses of Worship are reopening, and Intercom's Doc Medic caught up with Father Michael Clotton. He's getting ready to welcome parishioners back, although he has been holding services on YouTube and on their Facebook page. So, what's new? Good Catholic boy by me, last few months. Not been able to go to church because of what's been going on, but rules have changed. And Father Mike Clotten's on the phone with us now. Uh, he's in charge. He's the big cheese, the head guy, the big man, if you will. Good Shepherd and drums where uh, Michelle and I go, and also Immaculate Conception in Freeland. And how you doing this morning, Father Mike? Dude, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Fantastic. So trying to get back to the norm. I, I see you every Sunday, but I see you on YouTube where I yep. get to see you doing Mass. Talk about what's a little different now and, and when you think things are... I, I, I noticed last week that you did have some people. Uh, I was watching the one with uh, Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception in Freeland. So I saw some people uh, in church there. How is that all working now? Uh, the process is working well. The bishop has allowed us to have 25% capacity. Uh, and each church we have the pews taped up. Uh, if you walk into church, you'll find a Blessed Mother Blue piece of tape and you sit there. We're asking folks, though, to register ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So in each church, they call in on Tuesday evenings between 5.30 and 7 to reserve a spot. If uh, all the seats aren't taken that we're allowed to have, you can call in on Wednesday morning. The crowds the first weekend were, were underwhelming is the word that we use. Yeah. But people are still afraid, Doc. You know, yeah. they just aren't they're afraid to come back to church. Now we did it again this week, and we have significantly more numbers coming to church. We've gone from one Mass in each church to two Masses uh, in each church this weekend. So the numbers are beginning to pick up. Yeah, and that's got to be good for you guys, too, because, I mean, I know the church, a lot of it depends on donations. And with nobody there for three months, that's got to be tough. You know what? It is, but I'll tell you what, our parishioners have been wonderful. The, uh, a lot of them have been actually dropping them off at the church during the week. The Holy Spirit provides for us that so we're really doing well. I know that some churches are hurting. Our offices remained open during this pandemic, following guidelines. You know, there's a bad basket outside the office. You come in, drop your collection there. So we're pretty good with that. We're very fortunate. Uh, people in Good Shepherd and Immaculate Conception are incredibly thoughtful and generous. 
So what? It, can, just for uh, people listening right now, what times is the masses in Freeland? In Freeland, the masses are Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday at 11 a.m. All right. And Good Shepherd? Good Shepherd is Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and on Sunday morning at 9.30. We're talking to Father Mike Clotten this morning. And Father Mike, there's another question your parishioners want to know. When are you getting a haircut? That's the big question, Doc. I put it out on YouTube. Uh, I ask people to call in to vote. Right now, the vote is 50-50. Some want me to keep it. Others say get rid of it. When the barbers open up, that's when I'll go in. My barber has offered me to come to his home and get it cut there, but I said, nope, i got to be like everybody else. Yeah, you got to wait your turn. Yeah, that's great. Getting that buzz cut and that crew cut, right? Oh, you know, it's 35 years with that haircut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, let's. while well, I got you here, let's talk about your radio career. I, you and I were talking one time, and you were a Philly guy. Yeah, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, uh, although from Tamaqua, my family moved to Philly area. I was a high school teacher back in the real early 80s at a Catholic school. I went on on Friday and Saturday nights with uh, Muddy Mike on uh, WOGL. That was, again, a a lot of years ago, but it was just for a year or so. Uh, It helped supplement the income, but it's a great opportunity. I knew nothing about radio. I had the voice. They said, don't worry about that. We'll work with you. So I had a great time on those days. Yeah, I think it helped me in my career as a priest. Yeah, well, no, it did. It definitely did. So, I'm all right. I'm looking forward to see you. I did not make reservations for this Sunday yet. So, uh, I guess Michelle and I will be calling on uh, on Tuesday then. Listen, I know the guy who's running the place. Yeah. If you want first mezzanine seating, I can get it for you. There you go. Yeah, one of the gold <laughs> circle seating, right? The, the $300 seats. <laughs> uh, listen, buddy, you have a great day. It's always wonderful talking with you, okay? All right, Father Mike. We'll see you Sunday. God bless. Bye. Yes, we certainly have had our share of incidents throughout this year so far, 2020, and we're entering into the month of July. And now a dust storm coming from the Sahara Desert. It's been causing air quality problems in the Caribbean and has made its way to some areas of the U.S., It does happen every year off the coast of Africa, where thunderstorm winds can then push it into the atmosphere, sending it adrift out to sea. People with asthma and underlying lung conditions may be at risk, but it's not all bad. Scientists say the microbes and nutrients can play an important part in ecosystems, and its presence may reduce the formation of possible hurricane activity. Conservation International's Vice President of Climate Change, Shaila Raghav, covers how COVID-19 is affecting the environment and Conservation International's Carbon Calculator to help us understand our carbon footprint. From our Intercom sister station, 94.7 The Drive in Washington, D.C., Karina Delgado caught up with Shyla to talk about how COVID-19 may be affecting our environment, as well as where we can find that conservation carbon calculator that will help us understand our carbon footprint much better. I'm Karina Delgado with 94.7 The Drive. I am on the phone today with the Vice President of Conservation International to speak about our Earth, the environment, and the COVID-19 crisis, and how the two are inextricably intertwined. Hi, Shyla. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for calling, Karina. I'm doing really well, thanks. How are you? I am doing the best that I can every single day, just staying grateful and washing my hands. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Same here. If you could, just please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners. 
Great. Thanks. My name is Shaila Raghav. I am the Vice President of Climate Change at Conservation International, and my role is to oversee um, our climate change strategy and programs. Um, Conservation International is present in about 30 countries around the world, and we have um, our headquarters is in Arlington, Virginia, and our mission is really about protecting nature for the well-being of humanity. And so the types of solutions that I work on are stopping deforestation, providing support and guidance to governments and to local communities to find um, investment solutions, policy solutions to protect nature for a more sustainable and healthy future. Sure. Speaking of protection, we are all in protective mode right now. With that said, I think comes a sense of question and people are speculating on whether or not the COVID-19 pandemic is a result of climate change. Can you speak to that a little bit for me? Yeah, I think that's a really, really important question. And I think that our tendency is always to try to find connections between trends, but also to be able to find um, or or get some good news, right, or find a silver lining uh, amidst everything that we're experiencing. Um, there isn't really any strong evidence that climate change is a direct cause of the coronavirus and its spread. Um, but what we can, what we do know is that climate change is um, has a direct influence on the migration of species. And so, in particular, what we're seeing is that ranges of species, whether it's even trees and and plants where they can grow or migratory patterns of species like fish or even birds and insects. These are all changing because of shifts in temperature and precipitation that is being caused by climate change. But I'd also like to highlight the fact that climate change is, is something that could multiply the losses and damages in times of crisis. So imagine if on top of dealing with COVID-19, we were also experiencing a drought or cataclysmic fires like we saw in Australia or in the Amazon. Well, it would really just have the impact of exacerbating those inequalities. As we experience in our own communities the COVID-19 crisis, I can only imagine the devastation somewhere that was you know, hit by a tornado during a time like this. Exactly. And, and climate change can, can also affect human health even more by putting strain on vulnerable populations or even increasing um, things like heat stress or the spread of disease vectors uh, like mosquitoes that um, increase incidence of, of diseases like malaria. And so the human health implications are really going to be even more difficult to deal with when compounded with viruses and diseases like COVID-19. So I really think the main message here is that climate change and human health are um, inextricably linked. What we're seeing as a result of people uh, social distancing and isolating in their homes is that pollution levels have dropped around the world as people stay home. Do you think this will inspire people to limit their fossil fuel use once things get back to normal? I think that's that's also another another um, um, uh, trend that we're seeing so much in the news. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think everyone's looking for something positive to come out of um, of, of all of the the negative consequences of COVID-19. But I wouldn't necessarily call the drop in air pollution levels a hidden benefit because they're likely just going to be temporary. And we haven't really, as a society, made the systemic shift that are needed for these gains to persist or be sustained in the long term. So the the way that I'd rather look at some of these short-term benefits is to focus on 
on preparation and how we could have prepared better. So imagine if we had listened to the warnings from ep- epidemiologists and others and, and prepared right five, six, ten years ago. How different would that outcome have been um, in terms of how we're dealing with and experiencing losses due, due to this crisis right now? How would we have changed the future and how would we have acted to do that um, even just so that little that the virus could be contained or mitigated and our economy could be more resilient and prepared for that. So I think with climate change, the timeline is very clear and so are the consequences. Mm. So the question that we have now is how will we use these next few years knowing what we know now and knowing that we have the opportunity to prepare better and to, to create a more resilient economy so that we, we, we don't have to lose jobs, we don't have to decimate economy, our economy, we can actually address climate change by building new and clean and thriving economies. So that's really what I hope we can take away from um, our, our lessons from, from dealing with COVID-19. What can we do to make those preparations? Yeah. So in the next 10 years, the science is really clear. Um, emissions need to be halved by 2030. So we, we basically have a decade to cut our emissions in half. And we know the types of solutions that, that can get us there. So it's clean and renewable energy. It's greening our agriculture system and our food system through regenerative agriculture and shifting towards more of a plant-based diet. Um, shifting to public transportation, um, reduction of overall consumption like plastics and other products that take a lot of energy to produce. So making those immediate changes now in our infrastructure, in our decisions and our patterns today can set us up to be in a position to really achieve that outcome over the next 10 years. Um, The second thing I would say is that since climate change is fundamentally, like COVID-19, a global crisis, it's going to require worldwide cooperation and attention to really focus on on a coherent and and coordinated global response where um, we can see a basis for for global signals, global um, alignment and redirecting of financial flows. Um, And so that's the second thing I would say is just really band together um, um, as uh, through political signals and political processes that can help um, develop a global response. And then the last thing I would say is to support um, natural climate solutions, which includes planting of trees, restoration of natural ecosystems and protection of standing forests. This is really my personal passion um, because a third or more of the solution to climate change comes from protecting and restoring nature. Um, And guess what? These solutions can also help maintain um, the resilience of our planet, um, provide us with clean air and clean water, and might also very well prevent the spread of viruses that so severely affect human health as well. One last thing, Shaila, before uh, I let you go. What is one way individuals can give back to nature and be a part of the bigger climate solution at the same time? 2020 is such an important year. So I think making um, addressing climate change a priority, making it a voting issue, an investment lens when you're looking at where you put your investments, your retirement portfolios, um, make it demands that we, that, that we make as shareholders and consumers of many large companies, talking about it more. There's really um, something that every single person can do, no matter what your skill set, to activate creativity and and kind of that ideation process of bringing solutions to the market. Um, the other thing that people can do is 
um, use a tool that we developed that is available on our webpage. It's a carbon calculator and it allows users to measure their carbon footprint and give back to conservation projects designed to keep forests standing and to help um, scale up restoration efforts. So um, listeners can visit conservation.org slash calculator. And after using the calculator and uh, assessing their carbon footprint, they can learn more about reforestation and conservation projects to which a donation can help um, support um, forests in the Amazon, in places like Peru or Kenya. Um, and so these are, this is really something specific and tangible that, that everyone can do um, immediately um, and can also help us to maintain our uh, optimism, our hope, and our sense of community um, in coming together around addressing climate change and, and, and protecting our planet for, for our future. Can you give us the website one more time, please? Absolutely. It's conservation dot org slash calculator. Thanks again to Carissa Delgado from our intercom sister station 94.7 The Drive in Washington, D.C. And thank you for joining us this week on Special Edition. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories a production of Intercom Communications. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.